This is the Mark Stucheski Podcast. Mark S. Babbitt is a speaker, author, blogger, cultural architect, boy, that's a mouthful for me to say, executive coach and career mentor. He serves as president of Work IQ and CEO and founder of U-Turn. He co-authored the book, Good Comes First, How Today's Leaders Create an Uncompromising Company Culture That Doesn't Suck. Mark, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, sir. Pleasure to be here. Scotch is the answer, huh? <laughs> Scotch is the answer. And, and only you and I will know what that means. But yes. Well, we should we should we should share it with the audience. So this we don't know what's gonna happen with this episode. So I'm gonna start putting my podcast on YouTube because I told I was told by a guest I had recently on, yeah, put it on podcast. And then I said, Mark, you're gonna be my my uh my guinea pig. And he said, Should I have coffee or vodka is that what it is vodka scotch scotch i think it was so scotch that's what it is thank you and because he lives up in the mountains and his internet's like really slow and he said well sometimes when i do these episodes it takes like four days to upload not really but it's pretty (laughs) long and uh, so he started the show just before i hit record he said scotch is the answer so that's the inside you you really can't appreciate it because you weren't on our pre-call uh banter but now you actually know so I, I struggled with some words, culture architect. They don't roll off my tongue. That's because I have a speech problem. I can't speak English very well. But you have a company called Work IQ, and you're the founder and CEO of U-Turn, not to be confused with YouTube. So tell us about Work IQ and U-Turn. Well, so uh, I will tell you uh, right off the bat that Work IQ was born from U-Turn. U-Turn uh, having been in the startup world and in, in specifically in, in the online recruiting world in Silicon Valley for 20 years, I started U-Turn to help young careerists ascend into the workforce, perhaps a little bit more gracefully than they would otherwise. So we've talked a lot about mentorship and internships, apprenticeships, being really ready through soft skill development, not just, hey, I'm, I graduated with a marketing degree at Southwest Louisiana State. So that makes me employable. No, it does not. And not, not anymore. And, and so the trouble with all that, Mark, is that we were sending people into a workforce. They thought they were getting their dream jobs and most cultures, most leadership styles were nightmares. It wasn't a pleasant place to be. And, and so we started having a lot of conversations um, a, a decade ago about, well, what, what needs to be different? And it came down to two things, leadership and culture. And, if we can play on those words a little bit, culture leadership. Uh, culture in most companies is accidental. It's 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 maybe um, a, a default position where it takes on the personality of of the founder or the CEO or the executive director at a nonprofit. It's not intentional, and and we we set out to fix that. I just love that because I have been out of corporate America since two thousand five when they fired me. Uh, in hindsight, it's one of the best things that happened in my life because I probably wouldn't have the podcast. I wouldn't be a productivity coach, but I can vouch for what you said. When I used to work in corporate America, there was the supervisor. He would have his, he would create his own culture. When the manager came by, there would be a different culture. When his boss came by, there was a different culture. And it seems like the workers, I was an inventory control manager we were so confused because we didn't know what culture was going to 
be prevalent for that day. It depended who showed up, and it was really crazy. Well, and that that happens in so many companies now. Now, add, add on top of that, and maybe you experience this too, Mark. One boss might be uh, empathetic and more of a mentor, and the next boss was an absolute task driver. The one thing they they both had in common and still do today, because we're still living in this weird paradigm of industrial age leadership style is they're both focused exclusively on results. They're driven, they're measured by the results they bring. And the trouble with that, as you experienced, it sounds like, is if you're only focused on results now, we don't take very good care of our people. We don't show them the respect that they have earned just by being there. Just, you know, not not that we have to tolerate poorly performing employees. That never works for anybody. Um, I coach baseball. I can't have a third baseman that sucks, but everybody else is good. Right, I have to improve that position. So we're not we're not talking about tolerating poor performance, but we're, we, what we are talking about is let's respect the people that are helping us accomplish our mission. Let's let's show people that we value their contributions to those results. And if we do both of those things, if we put results on the same plane, make it the same priority as as results, well, now we have a pretty decent and consistent company culture, it doesn't matter who walks in the room, we're all driven by the same thing. I remember the place I worked, like I said, we had supervisor, manager, assistant director, and director. And the assistant director was a former military guy. And I thought that was great in the beginning. I respected the service to our country. But one time I had a problem with my supervisor, my direct report. The manager wasn't around. He may have been on vacation. So I went to the assistant director. Well, being from the military, he was a chain of command. So I went to him in confidence. And then he immediately called my boss, who then called me in the office and raked me over the coals. And of course, at that point, I lost all faith in the management structure of the company. Well, that's a toxic culture. You just described a culture that did not respect you you can't and this happens oh this happens so many times mark today right now even after covid and after all this freedom and autonomy people have enjoyed by working from home now we're trying to figure out how well how do we get all these people back in the office again right and so we're we're sharing things we're 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 saying things in confidence to somebody that we trust only to have that spun against us and and it's the definition of a toxic company culture I wonder what percent, maybe you would know this, what percent of American companies would you say, and I know you don't have any hard data because no one's going to say, yeah, we're a toxic company over here. But in your best guess, what percentage of companies have a toxic environment? I got a feeling that your your estimation or your guess is going to be a little higher than people are going to be willing to hear. But what would you say it is? 60%. So, and I, and I, and I'll add to that, Mark, that, that there's another category that, that isn't great, but at least people don't lose stomach lining over it. Um, and that's tolerable. So we're guessing about 60% of the company cultures out there, the employees consider toxic, not the person, not the CEO, not the HR director. They're still drinking the Kool-Aid, not the people who write the about us page and the job descriptions. They think they're fine. But about sixty percent of the of the companies, the employees would 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 say they're toxic, and another twenty percent wouldn't maybe wouldn't call it toxic. So there are good days and bad days. We call that tolerable. 
Well, you can't put come work for us or tolerable in your job description, right? Nobody's nobody's going to apply, right? So we put all, all these fluffy words, fast-paced, dynamic, blah, 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 and the reality is it's just not a great place to work. So how does someone who's looking for a job know or can they know by looking at the job description if it's a toxic environment or not? Is there anything that the prospective job hunter can do to minimize the chances of working with a toxic company? Because you said about 60%. That's a lot of companies. Hey, you listening to the Mark Stuchowski podcast. Thank you so much for doing so. I really appreciate it. But are you a Mark Stuchowski insider yet? This is my free email newsletter, and you can sign up right now by going to mrproductivity.com. M-I-S-T-E-R, mrproductivity.com. Well, yes. And when six out of 10 companies are toxic and another two out of 10 are tolerable, we do want to give people the tools so they can go to, they show up to work and be productive. I mean, we all have our tools and you're such a, a great help with this. I just love your videos about how we personally can be productive, right? Uh, but it doesn't help us if we're in a toxic culture because at some point you're just going to get tired of being beat down. Like I walked, I, I got organized on Sunday night right? I, I, I listen to Mark. I'm following his, his advice. I'm ready to go to work this morning. You walk in the door and boom, toxic, right? So so how do we avoid that situation? It really comes down to the job interview process, Mark. And I'll, and I'll, I'll give you some some really simple tips. Look at the person. Say it's in like the, the, the third interview. Things are getting close. You think a job offer might be forthcoming, and you look at the person across the table and say, look, I want to be, I want to ask you a, a question and I'd like you to be completely candid. What, what do you like work? What do you like best about working here? Well, if they immediately just start talking about how productive it is, how creative it is, how fulfilling it is, well, now you got probably got a pretty good company culture. What they're not going to do, just like they don't tell you in the job description or on the about us page that there are toxic culture. If somebody takes a big long pause, and maybe their shoulders shrivel up and their hands come in and they're trying to find just the right words. <laughs> well, what does that tell you? Right. Um, it, it, even if you get a good answer to the, what do you like most about working here? Now ask, what do you like least about working here? Same situation applies. And here's the, here's the extra layer on this one is if somebody naturally they're going to, because they don't want to, they don't want to make their current employer look bad. They're trying to sell you a job at this company, right? But if if they start spouting the company culture mantra that's 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 nailed to the wall in the lobby, that's not a good culture. It's just not right. So sometimes it isn't what they say; it's their it's their um, body language, it's their nonverbal communication, it's it's their reliance on. Oh, good. Now I just get to go back to the, you know, to whatever the Bible says about the company, and I'm just going to read you out of the Bible. And and if they start doing that, it's it's not a great company culture. So let's flip it. Let's say there's a leader who is in the C-suite. They're listening to this conversation, and they realize because we all know if we are leading a toxic culture environment, and they go, "I want to change." How can a leader? anyone in the C-suite, how can they begin the slow process of changing the culture from one that is toxic to one that is not? 
Oh, Mark, that, that is, that is the best possible question. And here's why nobody voluntarily works in a toxic culture, but if you have a, I'll I'll just label it what it normally is. An old white guy that is sitting up in the C-suite and he's led the same way for 30 years, pandemic, everything else, none of that matters. I'm going to lead the same way I always have. And he's suffering from what we call boomer male syndrome and that he can't get out of his own way. He, he doesn't even know how destructive he is. Well, that person that's interviewing you, that, that middle manager, the hiring manager, the VP, they know that it's toxic. They know there's a leadership problem, but they do want to change it. And, and they want to create what we call a contagious pocket of excellence, right? That way that CEO can look and go, well, you're driving the results I want. And since that's all I care about, I'm going to you do what you want, right? And, and now we have a, not just a subculture, but that contagious pocket of excellence. Now we're talking about finding people who align to whatever values are that are going to drive that pocket of excellence, right? Is it integrity? Is it respect? Is it collaboration? Is it truth? Is it transparency? Whatever that group's values are, and again, not what not what's plastered on the wall, not what's on the website, but how, what really drives that company or that that team. Now we're going to hire to those values, and we're going to. And during the interview, we're actually going to say, "Here are my team's values. Here's how I lead." I will treat you every day with respect, and I need to know that you're going to treat me and our team members with the same level of respect. Can you do that? Give me an example of when you've done that. Even when you didn't agree, give me an example of when you've done that. Now, we're not just hiring for being able to actually physically do the job or mentally do the job if we're a knowledge worker. We're not just um, hiring because they happen to agree with whatever the job description said, we're hiring for our subculture. We're hiring so that pocket of excellence becomes bigger. And and when we start hiring for values and skills rather than 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 technical skills, well now now we're on to something. And now we can we can we can grow our team and we can build that positive, productive, purposeful company culture that we all want to have someday, but maybe it's only here on this team for right now. I love that pocket of excellence. I, I remember when I was working at a steel factory, they had this nifty thing called, I haven't said the word nifty in a long time, but nifty, a uh, nifty tuition reimbursement program. And so I would go work in the warehouse and I would, you know, it was a union, uh, you know, union shop. A lot of people were not educated. They weren't stupid. They just weren't college educated. I was going to college and we had, you know, president after president, like you mentioned, he would walk around the plant floor. We called them the white shirts because they all had white shirts and they all wore black ties and they all followed the leader. One day we had, a, we got a new president and this president was an older gentleman, but he was a little bit different. And I remember once calling a secretary and I said, I'd like to sit down with the president. He goes, okay, what, when do you have to go talk to him? I'm like, seriously. And I went and told him some of my issues and he listened to me. And not only did he listen to me, when he wanted to make changes on the plant floor, he knew that he had to talk to the people who were actually machining the parts or welding the parts. He had to get their input. And he actually brought them up front, gave them lunch, let them sit in air conditioning because the factory wasn't air conditioned. And I really respected that because he really cared 
not just about the people who are up front in the office, the accountants and whatever. He cared about people on the floor. And I never forgot that. It's been years since I worked for that company. But he really appeared to care. And his leadership changed the whole culture of the company, in my opinion. Well, that's respect. You just defined respect in a corporate, corporate culture. He was an active listener. He was empathetic. He was sounds like he was trustworthy. He he had that proverbial open door policy, but it was really open. He didn't have fourteen gatekeepers between himself and you, right? He 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 might have been labeled a white shirt, but he still walked the floor. He still asked the right questions. More importantly, Mark, he uh, he enabled you to co-create the working environment. He took your input and he used it to make a better workplace, right? And that. And and by the way, I will say this, because we get in trouble when we talk about old white guys and boomer male syndrome. There's a great example of an old white guy, older white guy, it sounds like, who was not suffering from boomer male syndrome. It is not all of us. I'm a 61-year-old white male. I can't change that. That's who I am. But I don't lead that way. And I'm sure you wouldn't lead that way in a corporate environment. Clearly, he did not, right? So it's not it's not all of us that are stricken with this malady. We're adaptable. We can change. We can, we can make the workplace a better place. But the first step is listening like, like that president did. Lee Iacocca, I remember when I worked at this factory, they had this plan, they had a library where you could actually listen to books on tape. For the younger listeners, you didn't always have Audible. There was these cassettes you used to put in your car. And I used to listen. I got his Lee Iacocca. He wrote some book. And I was so impressed that he would park in the union parking lot and walk through the factory. And when I first heard that, I didn't understand what the big deal was. But then as I got older and went to college and studied management, I realized that that was sending a very profound message to the people on the shop floor that he didn't park in this special parking lot next to the front door where he just walked in his office. He would walk through the, the factory. And I got so much respect for that gentleman. Well, I, I, I have a similar story. I, I was brought in to help a startup. This is several years ago in Silicon Valley, and they were really struggling. They'd raised 11 million and now thir- then by then $13 million in venture capital money. And they were just, they were just blowing through the money and they had nothing to show for it yet. And, and a, and I couldn't quite convince the three founders how important leadership was to developing this positive culture. I'll, I'll give you an example. They put 110 salespeople on the fourth floor of this older building in downtown San Jose, and it had no windows, none, not not a single window. And that was and that was okay with them. They were literally working in a dungeon, 10, 12 hours a day. And that was okay with him. That that if that can give you an idea of what kind of leader we were talking about here, and 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 then a new CEO is brought in by the investor team. And I walked in on the first day. This the new CEO was there, and Bud was his name. And Bud's in the break room on the sales floor, and he had just poured himself a cup of coffee in a little styrofoam cup. And I have I always had my mug with me, and he said, "You're Mark, right?" I said, "Yeah." He goes, you here for some coffee? Yep. And he poured me some coffee. And we talked until the next person showed up. Then Bud got up and poured that person a cup of coffee. And they talked. And so on and so on. Every day. Bud started every day. Just this little tiny guy, heart of gold, foul mouth, but heart of gold. And he would pour coffee every day. That's how he would start his day every single day. And, and people came to respect him 
very quickly. He he asked the tough questions. He started the tough conversations, and and the morale improved like almost overnight. And as a as a consultant, as an as an as an independent contractor to the company, I was ready to walk. I mean, I wasn't even an employee, and I was ready to walk. It's like these guys can't be fixed. And then Bud, one guy, one little guy, comes in and changed everything just by pouring coffee. Does your to-do list have you overwhelmed? When you join my digital productivity coaching program, you'll learn how to get and stay focused, become untangled from the chaos of your to-do list, experience less overwhelm, and have time to do what you really want to do. Sign up today by clicking the coaching tab at mrproductivity.com. I mean, just hearing you share that story, those leaders are so rare that I know of. Now, I don't know every leader in every company in the world. That would be impossible. But that is an incredible story. And I, I just encourage any leader who is, maybe you're not the president, maybe you're not the VP, but you're in the C-suite. And I want to ask you a question. Are you just going along to get along because you get a nice paycheck, you get good perks, maybe you get a company car, you get to fly first class. Maybe it's time you start saying, you know, I'm going to start going to the break room and getting to know the workers a little bit better because the people that work on the floor, they're not inferior to you. I remember when I first started working in the steel factory, I'm like, oh, I'm going to college. I'm better than these people. No, I'm not. They're humans. They're, they're trying to provide for their families as was I. And I think that that what you just suggested, pouring coffee for these other people, one cup at a time. It was, it's so magical. It's so simple. Anybody can do this. You don't need to go get permission. You don't need to go to a class. It's just being a servant leader and saying, look at, I, I, I really appreciate you coming to work today. And that go, that would, for me, that would go so much further than, I don't know, a gift card to some restaurant or something like that, because that is, that's heartfelt. Well, and not, not only is it, is it heartfelt? It sets a new precedent because now is Bud gonna is Bud gonna hire those the, the those people who don't do that? No, he's gonna hire and mentor the people who think like that. Like, okay, you have a problem in IT. What do your IT IT people say? I don't know. I haven't asked him yet. Are you kidding me? Like get the right people in the right room at the right time. I can't help you solve this problem from here. Your people on the front line, they know the problem. Chances are they know the solution. They just need you to actively listen and then provide the resources, get the heck out of the way and just let them, let them fix the problem. You don't need, don't even talk to me anymore. Go, this is an IT problem. Let your IT people fix it. Right. And, and I saw him do that. And again, just with one characteristic, it changed entire cultures. I, I remember I worked for a hospital. I wasn't like a surgeon or something like that. Like I said, I was an inventory management kind of guy. And they wanted to replace the software. And the mistake they made, and I picked up on it right away, they didn't involve anyone who was going to use the software for inventory, for sales, or anything. They had the people, the managers, who don't use the software. And they go, okay, we bought software X here. I'm like, and it was so totally different than we were using before. And I understand that the other software didn't do what we need to do anymore. And I know we had to upgrade, but you should have involved the people on the front lines because we're going to say, well, this doesn't make sense. Why are we doing it this way? And they just kind of like forced upon us. And, and then they would get frustrated. This really annoyed me. They got frustrated when we didn't pick it up right away. 
well, we were speaking fluent Spanish. Now you want us to learn Russian in a week, and it doesn't happen. Well, that that happens more often than we can even count, Mark. I, and it gets right back to that respect thing. If you truly valued my contributions here, if you appreciated my legacy knowledge and what I bring to the table every day when I show up to work, you wouldn't allow, you as a decision maker would not allow a salesman, an outside salesman, to come in and dictate how we're going to work. You would have talked to me about that. And that is an ultimate form of disrespect. And, you know, you talk about productivity all the time. How productive are you when you feel disrespected? How engaged are you? How likely are you to refer friends and colleagues to come work for that company, right? How, how likely are you to stay, right? This, dis, this disrespect impacts just about every positive company metric that companies spend millions of, of, of dollars a year tracking, results, productivity, engagement, uh, retention rates, attraction rates, uh, you know, use of company benefits, all, we spend millions of dollars tracking these results and then m- millions more when the results aren't what we'd hoped they would be, but we never attack the problem. And that is a lack of respect in the workplace. Man, we, we went through some really tall weeds today and I, I thank you for that. But is there anything else on your heart that, that I didn't ask you that you really want to share with the listener today? Well, one, one thing, and, we, and we've touched on it, the, our whole conversation, Mark, Let's just say you're a middle manager. You're not the decision maker. So you're not completely, absolutely responsible for for company culture, right? You were probably hired because they thought you fit into the culture well when they hired you. But you don't want to you don't want to rock the boat. You don't want to be that guy, right? You don't want to be the person who says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk in here and change things. And but you got to change things. And if I can, just one hint on exactly how to do that for these managers. Stop being a manager. Just stop. Stop. I mean, yes, you're still responsible for results. Yes, you have some part of your job that's going to require you to be um, keep your fingers on compliance and conformity and, and following the rules and all that stuff. But stop being a manager. Start being a mentor. Do what that president did for you. Start the tough conversations. Ask the tough questions. Then listen, take all that in, and then, and then instead of being a manager, be a mentor. Like, okay, I here's what I heard you say. Here's how I'm going to use that to help make things better. Could I ask for if I can make that happen? Can I ask for your help? And now, and now, I'll say, great. Now you've shared with me. Now let me share with you. Here's what I see. Here's some feedback for you. And let's talk about personal and professional growth. Let's. You were brave enough to come to me. Now let's keep this communication cycle going. And I'm going to be, don't think of me as a manager. Think of me as a mentor. I'm, you're taking care of me. You're, you've obviously cared enough to bring these issues to me. Now I'm going to return the favor. I'm going to care about you. I'm glad you shared that. That That is powerful. So where can people go to find out more about you and where can we get your book and what else are you doing on doing in the world? Well, r- right now I'd send everybody Mark to uh, goodcomesfirst.com. That's a, a brand new book just came out this week where we talk about everything we've talked about today, how to, how to make respect as equally important from a leadership perspective as results, and then how the business and, and the people benefit from that. So um, please go to goodcomesfirst.com and uh, let us know what you think. 
Excellent. Well, Mark, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having an awesome name like Mark, because it's the best name in the world. <laughs> and I really appreciate you today, sir. Well, thank you. I appreciate you, uh, you having this conversation with me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time and attention for listening to this episode of the Mark Stucheski podcast. Hey, are you a Mark Stucheski insider yet? This is my free email newsletter where I will send you value multiple times a week. And I promise you, every time I send an email out to my insiders, it always has value. So if you want to sign up absolutely free, just head on over to mrproductivity.com, M-I-S-T-E-R, mrproductivity.com.